Genesis chapter 1, <laughs> verse 26 through 28. The title is The Crowning of God's Creation. When God created man, he did it as the capstone of all he had made. Humanity is the pinnacle of God's creative handiwork. Only human beings are created in the image of God, a special expression of God's divine nature within creation. And so let's read this verse 26 through 29 it says this then God said let us make mankind in our image in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground so God created mankind in his own image in the image of God he created them male and female he created them and God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in numbers, fill the earth, subdue it. I love that. Subdue it. Learn about it. Today we're still taking plants from all over the world and using it for, um, for medical research. So we're still subduing the earth. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant to, on the face of the whole earth, and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be your food, yours for food. Verse 30. And to all the beasts of the earth, and all the birds in the sky, and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he made, and it was very good, and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And so let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time in his word. Father, we are so grateful that we get to come to a sanctuary, a place like this, and learn more about you. It's so wonderful to come with people that are like-minded, that same, have the same calling and the same heart and the same vision, the same Holy Spirit that speaks to every one of us. And, and it's so amazing that we come here and we're all like-minded in that area, that we all love you. And I know there's some here that are just grasping for you and wanting to know you. And I pray that this morning that you would speak to them, Lord Jesus. I pray that you would pour out your spirit afresh upon every one of us, that we might comprehend your wonderful truths in Jesus' name. So the crowning of God's creation... It's the human race. You know, the Bible presents the human as consisting of three parts, body, soul, and spirit. First uh, Thessalonians, Paul writing here, he says this in chapters 5, verse 23, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, one, soul, two, and body, three, be kept, uh, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 gives a similar uh, phrase. 
The word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even for uh, even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. This uh, triunity, we really refer to it as a tripartite nature of man. Much like the divine trinity, the three parts of a human make one being. Through this, though distinct, the three parts of a person work together to live, exist, and interact with God in creation. The body is the physical side of a person. It touches the material world uh, through the five senses of sight, smell, hearing, taste, and touch. The spirit is the spiritual side of man. Uh, it interacts with God and spiritual realm uh, through its own set of senses, things like faith, hope, and prayer. The soul is the life of a person. It is the animating principle of a person and is responsible for the imagination, memory, reason, and emotions. As such, the soul serves as the command center for the person. Neither the body nor the spirit can function on its own. Both look to the soul for direction and action. By the way, when you, when you talk about the soul in the Bible, who you are, that's your personality, that's everything that... Uh, God looks at, you're that person, the soul. The soul, when the Bible refers to the heart, whenever the Bible says man speaks to the heart, there he is. It's the soul that he's speaking to. And so the soul is being, you know, the, the body speaks to the soul and demands the soul to do something. So then the soul gives permission to the body to act. But the spirit, God's spirit that he created your spirit with here, when he breathed in you, that spirit also is controlling your soul if your soul allows them. And so the soul is right in the middle. It's who you are. And I love it because, you know, when you, when you, when you begin to break that out in detail, you understand it more perfectly in your spiritual walk. You know how the body tries to govern your soul. Your body remembers the old days. Your body remembers the smells, the appetites, the feelings. And so the spirit, once it's born again, because something, some catastrophe happened there in chapter 3 where the spirit became dead, right? The spirit becomes born again, and it's there where God begins to communicate to you, begins to speak to the soul to govern the body. And so it works. It's amazing. When you read Luke 16, and you see the man in hell, and you see the rich man in hell, and then you see the poor man, Lazarus, there's a communication going on in hell. There's two compartments there. One is Abraham's bosom, and the one is hell where it's burning. And they have all their senses. The, the, the feelings of, of heat, the, the feelings of hurt, the feelings of, I mean, all the memories. Hey, can you warn my family members? They remember that. They, they, the sight, he's looking at, at Abraham's bosom and he sees Lazarus. He, he sees it all. It's interesting when you go through the Bible and start to develop the soul. In fact, it's, it's quite amazing. But the, the, the three aspects of that, that God built in humanity is, is quite, quite amazing. Uh, the human body. The human body has 206 bones in the skeletal system 
700 muscles in the muscular system, the cardiovascular system, the digestive system, the uh, endocrine system, nervous system, the respiratory system, the immune lymphatic system. I can go on and on. But I don't even <laughs> Listen to this. So much regarding the body. 5 billion to 200 million trillion cells in the body. The DNA found in every cell of a human body would stretch from the earth to the sun 100 times. Yeah, 23 chromosomes from the mother in her egg cell and 23 chromosomes from the father and the sperm that are small can produce such a complex human being with trillions of brain cells and a various body organs. They are amazing. Some say that the human brain has memory capacity equivalent to 10 million gigabytes. When, when Brianna was being uh, created in, in my wife's womb, we always played that recording that talks about what happens at day one, in the first week, in the second week. And we're like, whoa, no way, right now, you know, and Brianna, you know, and, and we're, and you know, and the eggs, they come so early eggs. I go, no, I don't even want to think of that, you know, that she's going to reproduce someday, you know. So, you know, this, so many things were being developed you know, by 23 chromosomes of my wife and 23 chromosomes of my, my you know, the, the man, me, you know, and this, and this amazing little child comes out, Brianna, and it just, you know, it's quite amazing. That's why the psalmist says this in Psalms 139, verse 13 to 14, for you created my in, inmost beings, you knit me together in my mother's womb, praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Amen. It's beautiful. Humans are more than physical beings. Mankind is unique within the creation for man was made in the image and likeness of the Godhead who speaks, thinks, wills, acts, and feels. God is spirit and he is invisible while uh, man is flesh and is clothed with physical form. And yet, like the creator, man was given the ability to communicate through speech, the power to reason with, with the, his mind, the free will to make wise choices, and the capacity to work and the privilege to express his inner feeling through a variety of God-given emotions. The triune God made man as triune being, with body, soul, and spirit. And it is the very triunity of being that is unique among creation and which is endowed with a God consciousness, spiritual capacity, and moral nature that distance humanity from every created being or every created creature. <laughs> Man was the last brush stroke in, uh, stroke in God's seven-day creative masterpiece, the final full stop in creation story, the closing chord of his magnificent symphony, the pinnacle of a splendid superstructure. That's what we are, right? When we look, look at these towers and these huge, um, amazing buildings, you know, we, we've traveled around all over the world and Dubai and look at these superstructures. They compare to nothing to what God has created in you and I. Amen. These superstructures underlining the peculiar, peculiar Importance of man in God's economy. For man was to be God's representative 
on earth, crowned with his maker's authority, for he was clothed in the image and likeness of the Father. Now, notice the change there found in uh, verse 26. It says this, and God said, let us make man in our own image. God has said nothing, anything like this about the rest of creation. It is as if God, the Father, knelt down on the earth and grabbed the soil. And he said to, the, to God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, let's form this man in the image of us. So caring, so loving, and so special. Really, that's who you are. And he begins to mold you and make you. God created us humans to be more like him than anything else he made. God did, God did not declare, let's make birds in our image. It's true that the heavens declare the glory of God, but they aren't made in the image of God. Mountains aren't made in God's image. Trees aren't. Even the animal kingdom is not. But we, humans being, we human beings are made in God's image. Now, of course, that doesn't mean uh, that we are little gods. We talked about that last week. We are made in, the gods, in God's image. The phrase in God's image or in God's likeness implies uh, there is some resemblance between human beings and God. The God of the Bible does not have a physical form, so the likeness is not physical. Jesus says that God is spirit. Notice what he says there in John chapter 4, verse 24. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. There have been different ideas over the centuries about what the image of God in human beings refer to. All of them may be aspects of some truths. So if the likeness of God in human being is not physical, what might it be? One of the ways that we are we as create uh, we that are created in the image of God uh, is I mean the the one way that you can really see it is through our creative acts. God is the creator, and some people have regarded the creativity of men and women as the image of God in us, both the ability to make things with our hands, but also with the whole aesthetic aspect of our being, our appreciation of beauty. In the creation of a glorious art, inspiring music, in all ranges of emotions, this is the creative, the, the creative image of God. When, think about this, because when was the last time you saw a goat quoting Shakespeare? <laughs> or a pig using a paintbrush for a masterpiece? You, know, you, don't, you don't see that. Well, well, we were in Chiang Mai one time in, in, in Thailand, and we went to go see the elephants, and they were playing soccer, and they really blew our minds because they gave them all paintbrushes. And they, they lined them up all around. All, all those elephants came out and they gave them paintbrushes. And they began to take the brush and go over a canvas. And then they grabbed the picture and they go, look what the elephant painted. And I'm like, mm. you know, I'm suspicious about everything as it is. You know, and I'm like, mm, no. How could he do How could all those elephants do it? Because in this crowd, how many can really do artwork? I mean, I can't. I can't draw, I can barely do a stick man, you know, and so, and all those elephants had, they, you know, they put them all around the, the wall, and they say, okay, you can, you know, we're going to auction these pictures off, and I'm like, no, how can an elephant paint those beautiful orchids, you know, there's no way, 
You know, and, and, and of course now, you know, we give Brianna her little water paintings and she puts water on a picture, I mean on a piece of blank paper and then all comes this beautiful, beautiful, you know, floral dimensions of everything and colors and you're like, okay, that's what they did. They're just, they're just trying to trick me, you know, because, they, you know, no way. You don't see monkeys developing architectural plans to put up a little ranch for himself out in the forest, you know. This... You know, when we were missionaries, you get funny questions. And so this one particular guy goes, hey, Pastor Bond, where do, where do the monkeys live? And I said, at the Hilton. They have a Hilton little <laughs> development that they made for themselves right next to the Hilton. And you know, no, you, you don't see them with any, you know, creative skills. They have a pattern to their lives. You know, they haunt, you know, they give birth, they take care of their animals, you know, you know and, and there's the pattern. They can develop skills within their parameters, their hunting skills. They become great hunters, but they don't go beyond that. We've been made so amazingly well in the image of God in the area of this creativeness that we too have in made, I mean, that we too have. Now, uh, Think about moral. The Bible reveals to us that God is holy and just and righteous. Human beings are set apart from plants and animals in that we have the ability to distinguish between good and evil. Uh, the book of Romans, chapter 2, verse 14, Paul talks about this. He says there, uh, For when the Gentiles who did not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves. Even though they do not have the law, they show the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. It's there. It's written in our hearts. Moral values do exist. Almost all people would agree that uh, objective good and evil do exist. Things like love, justice, and faithfulness are perceived as inherently good. While things such as murder, rape, and child abuse are perceived as inherently evil. These objective values seem to be hardwired into the human psyche. And those few individuals who go against these values are rightly perceived as sick by the rest of humanity. Isn't that true? I like the apologetics uh, in the realm of moral argument for God. I, I really like it because if God doesn't exist, the in objective moral values don't exist. Then we have to agree with all the leaders of their own countries from past doing what they did that were horrible. And we have to say, oh, it wasn't that horrible. Horrible. You know, if, if we come from an evolution background and, and we're just a bunch of water and, you know, we're a bunch of, you know, liquid just bouncing off each other, then there's no moral rights, no moral standards. And, you know, it's fun to get in these arguments, but I just want to say this, that objective moral values do exist. Therefore, God exists. The moral argument for the existence of God is a strong one. C.S. Lewis championed this argument in his book, Mere Christianity. Uh, every human being has a conscience. We can create laws and we have all the ability and the freedom to choose between right and wrong, truth and lies. Then all this is, this is the moral image of God. You know, um, every now and then I just like to go off and talk about these things, but sometimes it's just better in a Bible study or in my own living room. Anyways, the spiritual truth here, you know, uh, the spiritual side of the human 
In John 4.24, Jesus tells us that God uh, is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Human beings are made in the image of God because we are spiritual beings. Uh, Genesis 2.7 says this, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostril and the breath of life, and the man became a living being. In the Hebrew, the word ruach means both breath and spirit. When God breathed the breath of life into human beings, he gave us spiritual dimension to life, which plants and animals do not have. Man is the only praying animal. We are created to know God with the capacity for a kind of a relationship with God, which Adam and Eve enjoyed walking with God in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3, which we'll get there in a couple of weeks. We can worship and pray and exercise faith and love God and each other with God's kind of love. This is the spiritual image of God. Listen, when was the last time you saw a bear thanking God for his food? Yeah, yeah, no, thank you, Lord, for this food. You know, you know, it, it, you know I think of uh, my little daughter. I, I, you know, she mimics everything about me, you know, and so we pray for our meals anywhere and everywhere. And so we say, Brianna, it's your turn to pray. She says, okay. And uh, she says, oh, dear Jesus, thank you for this food. Thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, I'm like, man, I must do that when I'm going to eat. I must have a short prayer because I want to eat, and she's learned that from me. Because her prayer is like, Jesus, thank you, Lord, for this food, and thank you, Lord, for this day. Let's eat. You know, so I'm like, come on. I, I, so now, at, you know, it's hard now because now I try to make my prayers for my meal a little longer, but, you know, I still have that underlying motive. I want to eat. But anyways, <laughs> so anyways, uh, when was the last time you saw a donkey say, man, I want to know God. I want to know his will for my life. You don't. You don't see any creatures on planet Earth doing that. You see us, human beings, wanting and desiring to know what is our plan in this life here on Earth. And God begins to develop that relationship with us. Really, uh, you know, I, I have to just pause here for a moment and just ask you a simple question. How are you doing in your relationship with God? Do you hunger and thirst for him? Do you desire to want to know what he thinks of you? I get up in the morning and the first thought, you know, and there's a lot of things that begin to line up. And the first thought says, no, push all that stuff away. I just want to hear from you this morning, Lord. At night, right before I go to sleep, I'm just thinking, God, I just, I want to know you. Speak to me even in my dreams. I still study God's word day and night. You know, you may say, well, he's a pastor. Well, even when I wasn't a pastor, I did that. 30 plus years, I'm still on fire as I was the day I gave my life to Jesus. I just want to know Jesus. Amen. I want to know his grace. I want to know about his love. Do you have that? Are you have allowed this life to come upon you and just, you know, the old parable, the cares of the world, just come upon you and now you have pushed God second, third, fourth, fifth in your life. We've been built in such a way that we have these spiritual inclinations to seek after God. Take advantage of that. 
He loves it, by the way. He loves to meet with us. He loves to hear from us. Um, it's, it's glorious that when I, whenever I think of Enoch, you know, Enoch was, you know, in the book of Genesis there right before the flood. And he was, you know, it says that he was walking with God and he wasn't any longer for God took him, right? My, my wife's suspicious of that saying, well, what did his wife think about that? You know, I'm like, come on, how would I think? Of, you know, I didn't even think of that. But anyways, he, he, you know, Hebrews, of course, tells us that here's a man in the middle of chaos. Remember, it's, it's aiming towards the days of Noah when everybody thought what was right in their own eyes and it was corrupt and it was dark world. And yet this man had a devotion for God. And God used him powerfully at his, for his generation. And so you too, don't allow world to, the world and the cares of the world to overtake you. God made us spiritual. Now, another uh, thing that we can look at the image of God is God's chief government, uh, governmental attribute is self-determination. Or, you know, so he made us self-determinate beings, free will. I have the power of choice. I'm not a robot. You know, for choice to be valid, there must be something to choose. Hence the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the garden with its prohibitions, which we'll see that in a couple of weeks. For choice to be valid, you know, there must be uh, respect for choices made. This capacity of choice is necessary for love to be meaningful expression. If I'm forced to call my wife every night or forced to send her, you know, these bouquets every day, then how is she going to know that I really love her? Is it, you know, you would never know. She would never know. If I was forced to fellowship with God, if there were no alternatives, then my fellowship would not be meaningful. God has free will, and thus we were made in his image to have free will. Another aspect to uh, being made in the image of God is what we read in there in, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28 through 9, uh, dominion over creation. Notice this. It says in Genesis 1, 28 to 29, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree and that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. Uh, the idea of ruling over creation follows immediately after the idea of man being made in God's image and in God's likeness. So over the centuries, some scholars have seen the re responsibility to rule over creation as the explanation of what uh, is what it means to be, be made in the image of God. Uh, in this case, we are not talking about what human beings are as God's image, but of what human beings do as God's image. So in the capacity of the image of God, uh, human beings are appointed to rule over creation uh, as his appointed representatives that uh, in part of what the image of God in human beings means, the, the command to have dominion over creation and to do it is the job human beings are given in our role as the image of God. Interesting. When, when I read all these scholars and they were talking 
Uh, they were speaking about, you know, we were made in the image of God to rule over the earth. I never even considered that. And I was like, wow, that's, it's beautiful if it's done right. <laughs> Almighty God is the creator and the sovereign Lord of creation. Human beings are the appointed to rule uh, as God himself would rule. Dominion over creation is an aspect of the image of God. The main question is, why would God create man in his own image? And you know, that's always the biggie, right? It would seem it was his desire to come into a meaningful, loving relationship with his creation. Uh, Henry Morris, is a, he writes the commentator on the Genesis record, he writes this. He suggests that the thought that the people are made in the image of God, in that it was God's intention that his own son would one day assume humanity to himself and to be born into humanity as a man. Humankind was made in the likeness of God to prefigure God's intention to one day come to the earth in the likeness of men. Thus God would redeem fallen humanity to himself and join full deity and full humanity together in, in eternal fellowship through his son, the God-man Christ Jesus. I think that was brilliant. He said that they, we were made... Uh, because in the image of God, because one day Jesus would come in the likeness of man. It is all, you know, it really, it, it's, it's, it is stated in the scriptures that we were created for his pleasure. That is the pleasure of loving us and being loved by us. You may say, I don't want to love God. You had the prerogative. He created you as a free moral agent. Just note this. That in not loving God, you have failed to respond to the basic purpose of your existence. Thus, do not be surprised if your life seems at times to be empty, frustrating, and useless. God gave us a purpose. And if you're not, if you're not in line with God and his purpose, life doesn't even make sense. Then truly... You know, we're just a bunch of fluids bouncing off one another. God desired fellowship. More than half of the joy of having something beautiful is sharing of that beauty with someone you love. If I see a beautiful sunset, I will call my wife to come and see it with me. We were uh, with the young adults at the river yesterday, and, and we had this beach, and all the glorious trees and it was spectacular and you know the water's flowing and uh and we're just like can i can't believe we get to live here in santa rosa and enjoy this this spectacular view together right together i mean we, we traveled all over the world and you know and, and visit some amazing places and and it wouldn't be the same if i was to see some spectacular you know, the Taj Mahal, and then come back to America. Hey, hon, I saw the Taj Mahal. It was glorious and beautiful. And she's like, it's just a building bond, you know? But when she's there with me, we get to share it together. And it is glorious. God wanted to share the glories and the beauty of his creation. Hence, he created man in his image and likeness that he might have fellowship or share with him all the glory and beauty of his love. Psalms 19, 1 through 4 says this, and we've read it before in our first time together in the book of Genesis. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hand. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. 
They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. God fashioned all of creation to point us to him, to show us how much he loves us, to show us how much he wants us to love him. But not only does he want to point us to him, creation isn't just some sort of cosmic billboard. He gave us this creation as a gift. I know one of the things my wife and I always wrestle with uh, at birthday time and Christmas time for uh, Brianna, it, it's what should we give her? You know, and, and you know, I'm, she has me so wrapped around her finger and, you know, and, and she makes a list. I'm like, let's give her everything on. And, and, and Heather is like, you know, she's the, the smarty one in our family. And she's no, we, we're not going to spoil her. We're going to make her thankful. We're, you know, and she does all the, the good quality, quality things. I'm like, let's give her everything. <laughs> But that's not what God did. What God did was he put us on this earth and he gave us everything. Everything. And then he gave us, he gave it to us to rule over. He gave us everything and then he gave us dominion over it. And he did it for one reason. He lavished all the rich gifts of creation upon us just simply to show us how much he loves us. To point us to him so we will recognize his glory and love him back. I think about that a lot, the area of love, because love, love does, it motivates us to purity, right? Uh, you know, when, if you come into my office and you have an addiction, which there's quite a bit of people that have come to my office and, 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 and you know, they, they share with me some of the things and, and I'll say to them, have you, have you gotten into God's word Have you read about how much he adores you and loves you and how willing he is to give up everything for you? Because this is the thing, love changes us. Love turns us. Love comes in and and it, it, it motivates us. I mean, that's, you know, I think about when I married my wife and, you know, and, and she, 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 she just adores me. I don't know why. I mean, God gives us, God gives us our partners, you know that, you know? And so she just loves me and, and, and that won my heart over. And so now I was willing to change anything for her. You know, uh, will you wash the dishes? No. Will you? No, I'm kidding. You know, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of things when the two become one and you move into the same house, right? You guys know, don't laugh at me. You guys, you guys know. There's a lot of things, but I was willing because I adore my wife and I love her more so with God. God, he just overwhelms us with his great love. And that's the relationship he wants to have with you. If you don't have that, you know, you're missing out. And God wants to have that with you. It's free. He gives it free to you. And the only reason why you miss that is because you're distracted by the world or your own problems and your own selfishness. But you take a little time and you begin to study God and his word and what he's done for you. Oh my goodness, you, you're overwhelmed by his love. And then love begins to motivate you to do things for him. Love begins to you know, pry out that selfishness, that self-centeredness and say, I want you to help one another. 
self, you know, it starts to pry out all the ugliness where you can get along in your marriage, you know? The, the, the love of God begins to overwhelm you where you're like, God, I'll do anything for you. I remember the first day I gave my life to Jesus, I went home and took a trash barrel, you know, the big giant trash barrel, and I put it in my house, and I just went down, okay, out of my library, this all goes. Out of my refrigerator, this all goes. And I, and I did that through my whole house the very first day. No one told me. There wasn't a pastor saying, Bond, got to get rid of this, you got to get rid of that. But no one told me. It was his love, and it was real. And it overwhelmed me. So that morning, you know, I lived with my brother. My brother and I lived, in, and my brother was so worldly, so crazy. Anyway, so I go in the fridge here, and I'm throwing all that. He goes, what are you doing with my stuff? I go, it's out of here. <laughs> he's like, no, that's my stuff. I'm like, I don't care. You get out too, you know. So I'm like, three, three months later, he ends up giving his life to Jesus. And so we were called the sons of thunder. Yeah. <laughs> love, love overwhelms us. That's what God did by giving us creation. He gave us this amazing creation that we might recognize him. And what did we do? We took all of his wonderful gifts of creation and we turned our back on him in sin. We looked at him and said, we want more. We want to be in charge. We don't want to follow your rules. And we turned our back on him but he didn't turn his back on us. He gave us one more gift. The greatest gift of all, greater than all the gift of creation, the gift of his only son. Amen. He gave us his only begotten son as a blood sacrifice to pay our penalty for turning our back on him. That's how much he loves you. It's glorious. You see, we, as you know, as a human being, I love justice. You know, if, if there's criminal activity and it's done to me personally, I love justice even the more. You know, I, I want it seen. I want it to go before the judge, and I want the judge to get that gavel and go, yes, guilty. And and, and I want the maximum years, right? You know, because I love justice, and, and it keeps me safe. But then we look at God and we say, oh, no, God, you can't have justice because you're a God that loves. No justice for you. And he's saying, well, I should have justice the more. More than any judge. More than any human being. So now I look at him differently. He does have justice. And we've sinned. We've committed wrongs against God. There's the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not commit adultery. You just go on and on the list, right? We've all sinned. And God says, I need to judge you. The gavel's been set down. And he says, but I'm going to send my son to pay for your penalty. And Jesus did that on the cross. That's where he bridged the gap between a holy God and a sinful man. And he paid for you and I. And he made a way for us. It's the greatest gift ever. I mean, ever. You know, I wear a hat that says Calvary on there. And when people ask me, what does that mean? I go, it's the greatest act of a human being. It's the place where he did the greatest act as a human being. What is that? He did a pure gospel. You know, 
it's funny because, you know, and I'm in like India and Nepal, they're like, oh, Kavri, Kavri, what is, what is Kavri, you know? And I'm like, oh, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you. It's the greatest act of a human being. It was done on Mount, there, Mount Moriah, Calvary. He demonstrated his love. But know this, that wrath has to be applied to someone. And it was applied to Jesus. So Jesus turned and said, listen, I give you freely to have the penalty revoked. I'll give it to you freely. Trade me your sins for my holiness. I mean, that's a great, that's a steal, right? I used to do that with my dad. Dad, you know, I need, you know, make these great trades. Dad, I need $5, you know, and he'd, he'd pull out his wallet and he goes, oh, I only have 20. And I go, that's all I need. You know, and it, like, you know, and then we, I'd trade him for a dollar for a 20 or whatever. Oh, great trade. But God said, I'll trade you your sins for my holiness. And all you have to do is believe and receive. Turn away from your sins because that's what God will do anyways. He'll change you for the better and then follow him and allow that change. You know, as we're living life now, we're being made in the image of God. So there's love, there's grace, there's mercy. There's all these beautiful things that are being applied to our life to be more and more like Jesus. And he's doing the work. You know, we can't do it on our own. You know that we're the, the Holy Spirit, you know, in us now, reborn, where God speaks and the Holy Spirit says, I live here inside your soul and I'm going to give you a hand. And he begins to change us. And we allow that change. It's the greatest gift, far greater than this creation. And all we have to say, yes, yes to the Lord. When you believe on the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. That is his promise. It's real as, the, as, real as this creation around you. Amen. Amen. Let's stand up and we're going to pray. God made you for a purpose. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. God made you for a purpose. He made you with, with a relationship in mind that he might have a relationship with you. And if you're not doing too good in that relationship part, it's time, yeah? It's time right now. I want to do better in my relationship with you, Lord. I want to give you all of myself to you. Show me how to seek you. Show me how to live for you. Show me more of yourself, Lord. And God will do that. He will come and reveal himself to you. Listen, this morning, if you've never given your life to Jesus and you can hear him speaking to your soul, that's where he knocks, right? I remember the first day I gave my life to Jesus, that time when the pastor was saying, Jesus wants to come and live in your soul. My body was aching inside. Oh, no. But when he came in, I was as clean and white as snow. My guilt was taken away. And if that's what you want to do this morning, raise your hand and I will pray a sinner's prayer with you. Anybody here this morning that needs to give their life to Jesus for the first time? Anyone here? Raise your hand and I will pray a prayer with you that simply invites Jesus into your heart. Anybody? God's wrestling with you. I remember how many times I said no to him. No way. 
But then there was that time I did, and it was an amazing, radical change. Anyone? All right. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to pray for your saints this morning. I pray, Lord Jesus, more than any time in their life, Lord, that they would see that they were created for a purpose, and that purpose was a relationship with you. And that leaving this room this afternoon, Lord, today, right now, would be different. That there would be a hunger and a thirst for you like never before. To seek you and to know you. To know your grace, to know your mercy, to know your love. And to be radically changed for a lifetime of service. Have your way with us right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship the Lord. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.